podcast ain't played nobody, Bill. I just did the most organized radio TV spot of my entire life. I feel compelled to lead the show off with it because it involves BYU. Yeah. It involves Las Vegas. And it also involves the Mountain West. And whether you like it or not, everything that you just told me off the air about what you wanted to do on the show today, I'm going to ignore it. And every time you try and get away from the Mountain West, I'm going to Kathy Bates misery sledgehammer you. All right? I mean, look, I don't have anything against the Mountain West. I just, Apparently you do. I don't like big, your, I don't like your level of enthusiasm about this at all. It's all a big agenda so that we end up talking about Laramie, Wyoming for 45 minutes, which, you know, fine. But, you know. We can it's, also it's, talk it's, about Fort Collins. Okay. Well, there, there's a bait and switch going on here, and I'm not buying it. But I will say okay. those clips were those clips those clips they posted on Twitter that, yeah. that you that you shared very well done very I organized. On, I went on BYU TV. They called me yesterday. Set it up. They asked for a headshot. I did not have one. I've I've avoided a headshot for most of my professional career. I had to go dig up a photo from like it was either a wedding or a birthday party. I don't know something where my wife made me shave and dress up. I use that. I get on there. Fifteen minutes before the show, they send me a list of the questions itemized in like in order of what they're going to ask me, ask me if I wanted to add anything to that and ask like for a list of things that they could promote. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is like too inside baseball for just regular listeners. Uh, anyone who's listening is in the media understands that is a unicorn. I think that the LDS community and BYU fans often get, it's like super easy to make fun of them. Right. And so one of the problems when you're when you're an easy target is there's a lot of bad comedy about you. I don't know if organization is a stereotype of someone who's Mormon, but if it is, bully for them because that was like the most efficient and informative segment I've done because it just stands in stark contrast to when you might normally hear Bill or myself on like your local radio station or some random spot because it'll be like some dude calls you, asks if you can come on, and then you usually Bill, do you even it's gotten to the point for me where they just say, hey, can you come on and talk talk football? Which is fine, yeah. but you never know what the hell. And then you'll get on there and they'll, this is kryptonite for me. It may be a little bit better for you where they just say like, hey, tell me about this left tackle for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I make sure to have my laptop open at all times when I'm doing this so that I can very quickly vamp and pull up information on them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is. So the closest thing I had to this experience that it sounds like you had today is the first time I did solid verbal. I'm not just saying this to kiss ass for our coworkers, but um, back in whatever that would have been, about 2010-ish probably, they, you know, they asked me on, they gave their little, they, they gave their bio, we, you know, affiliated with Sports Illustrated and whatnot. I'm like, all right, sure. I, I didn't listen to podcasts or especially sports podcasts. So I, I went on, and beforehand, they it was the same kind of deal. Here are the topics we're going to talk about. Um, and then, like, halfway through it, I realized, holy crap, they actually did research. Like, it, it was so blatantly noticeable how much more prepared they were than others. And um, now I feel guilty because they are affiliated with us through SB Nation, and we're, they are so much more organized than we've ever been. I'm sure that's The irony here is that we're sitting here complaining about these – promotional spots that we do to sort of well theoretically promote the brand of SB Nation our employers I don't know how many people listening to me in like Little Rock are going to stop their car and Google you know our website but theoretically that's why we do this stuff or some of us get paid um, we're never organized though like, <laughs> I, I get mad when I go on these shows and they don't know what they're talking about or they ask me something that I have no like 
affiliation with. Like, it, it, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but I used to get asked about college basketball. I don't know what the hell to say. I've literally, I, I, I can't. I was in a bar with a friend a week before the NCAA tournament this year and had to look up and see who, like, who was in the top 25. They did, did not know that like Gonzaga was a top 10 team this year. So you can imagine how well that segment went. Bill, I wrote a story this week. You proud? Good job. Yeah. Um, I know you write 11 a week, but I successfully accomplished some reporting here in April uh, before I go out on paternity leave with some other projects going on that have sucked away all my time. I, I wrote a, a news report with, I think, all anonymous sourcing. Um, so, you know, good for me. Um, <laughs> about the Pac-12 and about Las Vegas. We mentioned this on the show, I think, three episodes ago now. Maybe two? I can't remember. Um, uh, this is how I'm going to lead in. I know you like talking about the UNLV running Rebels. I know you do. Okay? I did not know when this stadium got announced and the Oakland Raiders got uh, got moved. I don't know if got moved is the right verbiage we should use here. Moved themselves? Yeah, they moved themselves. Uprooted? Right? Yeah, um, they, they, they got up and, and announced they were walking away. They yeah. GTFO'd. Um, no, because even that, I think, is a connotation of being told to leave. Um, anyways, they ghosted Oakland. And uh, in the process, UNLV is going from uh, what was described in several different pieces that I read as dusty old Sam Wood Stadium, <laughs> which I really like that because it just sounds like an old gunfight would break out, not like a drug gunfight, like a Wild West gunfight, uh, which is much more quaint. Um, now they're going to be a, either a partner or a tenant. Um, they haven't really divulged the details of this. In a 1.9 or 1.8, depending on the estimate that you've read, billion-dollar stadium. <laughs> billion, Bill. Um, I guess that's not that big a deal. You know, you've had small programs, usually starter programs. Sometimes not. There's a couple friends in our, our American Athletic Conference that we cover so much, like Temple, right? They play at the Eagle Stadium. USF plays at the Tampa Stadium. It's not that big a deal, but it is a significant jump up. So as right, we sit here, we're going to start with UNLV. But first, I want to ask you, are you okay with more games in Vegas? Do you have any issue with more – do you have any issue with what I actually did the reporting on was the Pac-12 championship game? Santa Clara kind of sucks. Right. Um, and Vegas would give the Pac-12 um, probably what – I think somewhere between what you get in Indianapolis and Atlanta for the SEC and Big Ten Conference Championships. I've had to do this before. I'm going to do it again because I still think the majority of our listeners are in SEC country. Don't laugh at Indianapolis. It sells out every year. Yeah. I know it's cold, but the entire city sort of shuts down and revolves around that championship game, and it's super fun, and people like go nuts for it. It's actually a really good time. It's just a very, very, very Midwestern time. Um, so I think Vegas provides the Pac-12 the ability to do that. You have told me stories before, uh, Billiam, about – you drove how far for an NCAA tournament game in college? Um, we drove from Columbia to Albuquerque, which was something like 13, 14 hours. Okay. Bit more, much longer on the way back when a semi uh, got overturned because of crosswinds. Um, but yes, long, long way. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I know that the, the expanse of the Big 12 was significant when, you, when your Missouri Tigers were a member. I still don't know if this changes anything in terms of drivability, but put yourself in the shoes of, let's go with like Arizona State or Washington or UCLA. Well, I don't know, whatever. 
um, you might clinch your division a week or two beforehand. You Probably two or three weeks beforehand, I think. I don't know. I, I really don't know off the top of my head. When did Washington clinch the division? Did it come down to the Apple Cup? Oh, actually, yeah, I think it did. Perfect. Um, okay, even better for my analogy. Ready? Okay, perfect. Apple Cup was on Black Friday, I believe. The game itself was a was a week away, seven, eight days, all right? Because some years it's on the Pac-12 Championship, some years it's on Fox, and it's usually on Friday nights, and then the years that it's on ESPN, it's on Saturday. They have a weird TV agreement for the game. Let's just say you're like a recent graduate of Washington, or maybe like a senior. It's really expensive to fly into the Bay Area, even from Seattle. It's even right. more expensive to try and find a hotel in the Bay Area for probably two nights. It's just not possible to do that on eight days' notice. Oh, and by the way, these tickets are not cheap. They're probably going to set you back a couple hundred bucks a pop. Also, you're Washington. You're probably looking at going to the playoffs, right? Right, right. If your game... Now, you lose... That, granted, Washington loses against... Um, oh, man, I'm really bad at college football. Who did they play in the Pac-12 championship, Bill? Tell me fast. Colorado. Thank you. You lose to Colorado. You're out. So there's a bit of a gamble there. But I think most people were like, you know what? Let's see Let's see what playoff we end up in. I want to go to the playoff game, right? It's been a, been a long, rough road for the Huskies. Vegas solves all those problems. So, so imagine yourself at Missouri. And you could fly... Columbia to St. Louis is like an hour and a half or something. You could get on a plane. Yeah, an hour and a half, two hours. You can get on a Southwest flight for dirt cheap and go to Las Vegas because there are hundreds of flights a day that go in and out of Las Vegas. Right. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hotel rooms, and it's very cheap, and you can get this accomplished. Um, this is sexy. It has absolutely, or this is not sexy. It has absolutely nothing to do with football, but this is the kind of thing that the Pac-12 really needs. Um, apparently, they do play a sport called basketball. Apparently, the Pac-12 moved their basketball championship tournament out of Los Angeles and the Staples Center into a smaller arena, and then eventually the new arena where the called the Golden Knights NHL expansion franchise is going. And you know what happened, Bill? They saw more people come out because more people, especially around spring break, would rather go bang around in Vegas than they would just go to, like, downtown L.A. itself is also very expensive and not particularly fun. Okay. How does this get us to UNLV? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I like Tony Sanchez. I think it was a cool hire. So often on this program, we spend, I feel like we spend the month after hiring season, Bill, talking about, do we think this was a good hire? Was it the hire we wanted to make, right? Like, you know how you and I always try and fit Willie Fritz in for every job? <laughs> so we always go with like, well, let's be a little contrarian and a little non-traditional. When Tony Sanchez hire, was hired, what did you initially think? You know, my initial re- response to that is the same as with the stadium. I don't really like that type of hire, but in this case, why the hell not? Because, um, you know, UNLV has tried everything. You don't like them going to the Raiders stadium? Well, no, I, I, I mean, it's what I said here whenever we were talking about it last. Typically, I don't like the whole college team in an NFL stadium thing, but in UNLV's case, they're already off campus. Yes. You know, they're not moving from an on-campus stadium across town. They're already across town. So if you're going to do that, then going to an amazing NFL stadium is absolutely an upgrade than being across town at Sam Boyd. We should mention that Sam Boyd Stadium does not sit on UNLV's campus. It is not like a small, quaint home kind of right. home it's, stadium. Like, like Tulane yeah. just built something like that. This is, this is like playing in a bad community college stadium that's also a, a different direction from your, from your school. I think it's... right across the other side of town, so to speak. Right. Um, 
Tony Sanchez, Bishop Gorman. If you don't know what Bishop Gorman is, you probably live, what, east of Dallas, to say the least? Yeah. Um, Bishop Gorman was this, like, superpower, is a superpower in recruiting. The Pac-12 goes there. People all across the country go there to recruit. And they're, like, usually one of those high schools that you see in August on ESPN before they can show college football. Um, he goes to UNLV. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of direction. They don't really have much of anything. And yet, you kind of feel good about them, you know? Yeah, my um, my preview kind of, like, spelled out exactly. Like, last year was kind of a, a holding pattern year, pattern year for them. His first year in 2015, I loved everything that he was doing. They improved. They, they basically reset the depth chart. Uh, they improved. He recruited really well. Um, last year, they basically held steady. They were almost exactly the same team as they were the year before, uh, which at first is you know seems disappointing. And then you look at the injuries they dealt with. I mean, their their offense just got obliterated uh, by injury. Their receiving core at the end of the year included a, a backup cornerback and a backup quarterback uh, on their on their two deep receiver. Like they just they, they got they were one of those random teams that got absolutely destroyed. So the fact that they did hold steady, you could kind of twist into a bit of a positive. And now they've got all the guys that they had to rely on last year, plus all the guys that got hurt are back. Uh, and and it's a situation now where they should have a just an awesome offense defense uh, they, that that still might hold them back this year but it does you can actually it actually kind of feels like they might be putting something together now so when we talk about the the mountain west we've always talked about Boise State as of late we can mention programs like San Diego State we can mention potential upstarts like Colorado State maybe Wyoming after this season but we've always really just talked about Boise State. If anyone's willing to talk about mid-major football, they'll, they will now acknowledge Boise State. The, the most crusty, curmudgeon, sort of like SEC homers will at least acknowledge that Boise State has a functional, good football program. To that end, talking about Boise State then in a playoff or BCS capacity had always come down to their schedule, right? It's been particularly tough the last couple of years. Part of that is the division structure. But I believe you and I had that conversation maybe on the show or maybe off when I was doing a story on BYU or on, on Boise where it's just even had they gone undefeated. If it's a year in which Boise doesn't get a pretty mega opener or one really solid non-conference game, um, it's really hard to make a case even for a one-loss Boise to, to be anywhere close to consideration for a big-time bowl. And that's a lot. I mean – the schedule's just been pocked with underperforming teams. Well, we like joked about this Mountain West thing for a couple weeks on the show, but this is this is a conference that's not performing as well as it needs to outside of like the top what, two, three programs. It's it drops off significantly quickly. Yeah, and Boise State obviously has been its own worst enemy too by laying a couple of eggs each year. They've lost Air Force three straight years now, which is kind of funny. Um weird deal. Yeah, but so, but I mean, yeah, I think, you know, the way I find myself talking about the Mountain West here is the same way I was talking about the Conference USA, just in terms of like good hires. Uh, they seem to have made more this last round of hires than they did the one before. Rolovich was a massive, when Rolovich got hired, I wasn't real sure about him at all at Hawaii. Um, but I mean, he could not have proved more last year. That, he's your Twitter he was, buddy now. That's right. He's my Twitter buddy. Uh, he could not have proved more that he's an upgrade over, uh, over Chow uh, from before. But then, like, Fresno State, well, you know, at, the, at, very, at, at worst, Jeff Tedford will make them more competent. Uh, I don't know what his ceiling is, but he's going to recruit pretty well, and they'll be a more competent team. Like, they, 
the player development that that I was kind of discovering when I was writing the Fresno State preview a while back was was kind of nightmarish for Deruder. Um, but Tedford will make them competent. Um, you know, New Mexico obviously has has been slowly. They might be hitting their ceiling pretty soon, but they've been building under Bob Davey. They're better than they were two three years ago. Um, San Jose State. I kind of love now that I read more about the hire they made. Uh, uh, Brennan. They're basically going for their PJ Fleck. Uh, he's yeah. just this energetic dude who's really going to recruit like crazy and and love everything real hard and then and hope that that's enough. I don't know if it'll be enough, but I like the, some of the assistant hires he made. Uh, and you know, I, I think he'll. I don't know. I I like that they took the risk they did at least. Um, uh, when I was doing my uh, Athlon work uh, yeah. a while back, I was uh, I had to write up like a little sidebar thing about the Mountain West for like other Mountain West coaches talk or whatever, and someone right. described. Someone described him as well. He's a peninsula guy, and I was like, "What? What the? What? what? A peninsula guy? The peninsula around the Bay Area? Oh, that's like a okay. culture. I didn't. I was completely unaware of this. And I was like, okay, okay, cool, all right. Y'all are doing. You got your own little little, you know, fiefdoms out there. I guess whatever. But his enthusiasm is that." I mean, I don't remember like Mike McCartney having any kind of rah rah dynamic. I remember zero. Oh, McIntyre, McIntyre, McIntyre. Sorry, not McCartney. Sorry, uh, I, I, Mac didn't have. I mean, I, I don't, did he have any press? I mean, they were winning, but it's kind of very. Akin well, they to, like, won so quickly. Like to basically, uh, he got overshadowed because he started. He suddenly started succeeding in year three, right as Utah State was succeeding even more. And so he was kind of even second fiddle in the old whack. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, the, you know, this he's, he's just an energy guy, and we'll see. That can backfire majorly if you're not organized. But, again, I mean, if you're San Jose State, why the hell not? Why not, why not take a risk um, and do something a little interesting like that? But, no, I mean, so – but anyway, bottom line is I think the coaching situation is at a lot of Mountain West schools are much, much, much better than they were three, four years ago. Um, and that's how you improve. That's how you rebound as a conference. And in, in Boise's case, that's how your strength of schedule improves. Now they just got to figure out how to, how not to fall asleep a couple times a year. Very, very good point. Um, I really like the Mountain West, not just because I like Wyoming. I feel like the Mountain West really, to me, is the other AAC. I do. I don't know if they're going to be able to put it together. So if the world blows up in like 2020-something when the Big 12 eats itself and then there's like a fallout-type situation and we all have to go to war somewhere around like Amarillo, I don't know why I paired a nuclear explosion with the end of the Big 12, but, you know. And the put, Texas panhandle. Put a, couple, put a couple things together and it's not that far-fetched. I don't know what the Mountain West looks like in 10 years. I don't know if it's possible right now for them to get good enough, fast enough to really make a dent. Um, let me ask you just as we go through, because this is, if I'm going to openly root for a conference that isn't the American, I feel like this is one because it so typifies a lot of the things you and I object to, which is one, there isn't something interesting going on outside of a, my team and B my conference, usually a power conference. So you and I object to that. We object to people completely writing off the group of five. We object to the fact that oh, well, you're not a real football fan if you live in whatever, Logan, Utah, Spokane, Washington. You are. You totally are. Your team is as valid to you as a Clemson or Ohio State fan's team is to them. So I think this is why I kind of really put the cape on for these guys. Also, Powder River. Just go ahead and get that out there. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's so many things I feel like that still have to happen that could go completely one way or the other. Like, okay, Jay Norville at Nirvana. Let's go there. Yeah. I think it's good, right? I know they're not going to be a pistol team. We talked about this. I think we teased it out one or two shows yeah. ago. But, you know, they, he's got a mummy on his staff, so it's definitely not, you know, <laughs> they're not running the pistol, which is what they're famous for. Um, it could work. It could also yeah. completely not. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think on this show a while back, I was very, very, very lukewarm uh, about Norvell in general. Like uh, he, you know, he's an offensive coordinator who hasn't really had any offensive offensive success for a while and whatnot. Um, and so I didn't really, I didn't love the hire, but you know, a he did hire a mummy to run his offense, which is for the blogger class, that's the fastest way to get on your good side. But but be, even beyond that, he hired Jeff Castile as his defensive coordinator. I love that hire at that level. Jeff um, Castile, by the way, been with Rich Rod for I think right. a part of like almost three decades. Right. I mean, he he connected with Rich Rod. Rich Rod left. He stayed in West Virginia with Bill Stewart. He eventually left for to to go join Rich Rod again out in Arizona. Did well for a couple of years and then just bombed in 2015. Um, but they that you know that was where they lost Scooby. All of a sudden, they had a bunch of freshmen and sophomores um, you know, that they were playing, and it, it was just a bad year. It was a year though. Before that, they were top fifty at Arizona. Still bombing. Um, that made me feel a lot better at, about the the Norvell hire. He made some good hires. I think he got t- t- if I remember right, he got Timmy Chang on his staff too. That's another way to to you know appeal to me real quick. So I feel better about that hire than I did. Yes. So I guess from a Power Five perspective, this is a really uninteresting or. No- there's a lot of stigma attached to this. It's kind of got a Mike Bobo flavor to it, in a way, right? <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas fans certainly have opinions about Norvell. Arizona and West Virginia fans certainly have opinions about Castile. I didn't think about it that way. And then if you have any negative opinion about Mummy, I will punch you in the stomach. Um, Bill, why do you think that you and I aren't bigger New Mexico fans? Because their defense is terrible. But there's a guy who was, like, always likable – Always did. You're a a. You are probably drunk in the late afternoon game. Like he never got past the deuce when he was an announcer, right? He was like Bill Davy. Mm. You're getting maybe like a Vandy South Carolina Bob. flavor, right? Bob Davy. Um, I'm having a great day with names. <laughs> He's fun, right? He's lighthearted. He goes to a program and he does what we tell all these programs to do. He says, you know what? No, playing by any any set of rules that has anything that's ever been laid down in New Mexico is just not going to work. But if yeah. we do something different, truly different, and compensate for differentials, we can win here. And he has. How come yeah, we're I mean, not he, trying to do like a live podcasting play nobody from New Mexico? Well, I mean, A, he's a former Notre Dame coach, so I assume a lot of people already disliked him for that. Uh, and then B, he was he was he was always a very he was a cheery guy in the booth, but it always kind of had a an air of like, I'm definitely smart. I definitely know what I'm saying. If you disagree, then you're not smart. Kind of. So if you can combine those two, if you get that vibe and you dislike Notre Dame, then you hated Bob Davey in the booth, and you were happy that he left uh, to go coach again. Uh, and the fact that he succeeded, you don't care because he's not, you know, he's not polluting whatever game he did. Because that's the way we are with announcers. We're not rational when it comes to what announcers we like and dislike. So I think there's, that's part of it right there. But no, you're right. I mean, they, 
he kind of seemed to come to grips pretty quickly with the fact that he was not going to be able to attract just a ton of talent to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And he basically sat down and, and said, okay, well, what can I do then that will allow me to win football games? And he's a defensive coach. At one point in the 90s, he was probably the most sought-after defensive coach in the country. He went from A&M with R.C. Slocum. He went to, you know, to Notre Dame with Lou Holtz. Uh, he was well-regarded enough that he took over for Holtz when Holtz left. Um, he is a defense guy and his defense has been woeful for most of the time uh, that he's been in New Mexico, but he figured out that he can attract option talent. He can get a couple fast running backs. He can get a quarter, uh, you know, a quarterback who was listed as a receiver prospect by two, four, seven. Um, he's going to be my five eleven quarterback. He's going to run the option. He's going to do a hell of a job and I'm going to win shootouts. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much what he's done. Now, at some point, you know, if you want to go any further than what he's done so far, you're going to have to figure out how to make at least a few more stops. Uh, and they haven't yet. And they might not uh, looking back at last year, that, that really might've been their best chance to win the mountain West mountain uh, division because uh, there was like a, there was a multiple way tie there that Wyoming ended up winning, but you know, they, they, they'll, they'll fight you. They'll go, they'll go for four, you know, touchdown for touchdown with you. And uh, if you're not ready for that, then, and if you can't adjust to the option they're running, they're going to run it all day. So that's what, what, by the way, that is one thing that I've caught on with the personality of this conference right now. Nevada could be an exception moving forward, but you want to talk about a run friendly conference with a ton of good running backs UNLV's got a good running back. Wyoming had one. We'll see if they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I'm blanking on San Jose State guy's name, but I think he's pretty good. Um, uh, Hawaii can run the ball. Colorado State can run the ball. Boise State can run the ball. Of course, the Air Force can run the ball. Um, they this is a conference full of run heavy, uh, run high high quality run offenses. So and, um, what and happened? That's that's a personality. What happened? What do you mean? What happened? Can we can we build out some sort of larger idea that per, you know attention shifted to the passing game and, and why is that in vogue in the Mountain West? I'm curious. Well, I mean, you'd have to you know with Hawaii and some of those teams, you'd have to uh, you know you have to ask them. But obviously, Air Force does it for a specific reason in New Mexico. Okay, well, yeah, let's throw out Air Force in New Mexico first. But for to hear you say that, it kind of rings a little bell. Only that. Most so conventional logic has been for the last gosh, what going on two decades, Bill? That if you don't have an offensive line and you don't have premier talent, you're going to throw into space to spread people out, right? That, mm-hmm. That's what we said, like starting two decades ago when, when when that trend started, and that was, I mean, that was gospel in a place like the Mountain West <laughs> where you weren't going to have the big, you know, you weren't going to have the big interior offensive linemen to be able to push and run the ball you weren't going to have quarterbacks capable of making pro throws you know we're going to throw to a spot we're going to put you in space and neutralize you that was the logic for years and now you're looking around and this feels almost like it's completely gone the other way i'm just curious again like not related to air force in new mexico who are doing an obvious thing i'm just curious why well, the pistol probably had a little bit to do with that, um, you know, that it emerged from the Mountain West. And, and obviously Kaepernick and those big running backs did a really, really nice job for a while. And then mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Fajardo after Kaepernick also did well at Nevada. 
Um, so, I mean, that's probably how they started going down that road. And again, they're now reversing field probably, but that's something. San Diego State, I just think, does it because they have a good defense and a limited passing game, so they lean real super heavy on the run. I don't think that was any sort of major trend thing. I think that was just what happened. Um, I mean, otherwise, I don't know. Maybe it's just easier to attract you know, California or Texas running backs to your school when you're out in the middle of nowhere. But Wyoming was a, an extension of the spread, you know, because their quarterback has a really nice arm but can also run. And and so that helped to free up their running back a little bit. Utah State's another well, they team. They ran that, out of spread. I mean, that's what he was doing at North Dakota State. Was he was, right. He was running a kissing cousin to the Malzahn inside that zone stuff. Um, and he was utilized. That was specific to – what is this personnel going to allow you to do? And in the first couple of years he was there, they were behind all the time, so they probably couldn't do it as much as he wanted to. This is a good um, point. This is a good point. Um, but, I mean, Colorado State, I think they just do it because they're good at it, and they also throw well. I mean, their offense was really well-rounded. Boise State's well-rounded. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, the, the Mountain West has ended up with a very nice collection of, of running backs slash good running games, and – you know, maybe there's a cause there. I mean, if there's an underlying cause, it is that, you know, Nevada did invent the pistol and, and Air Force has been running the option forever. But I, other than that, I don't know if there's a cause. It just might be because of what you can attract there. Why can't I isolate S&P rushing on the outsider side? Come on. Come on. You mean like sort? Yeah. 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 Good. Good luck. Um yeah, I tried. I tried that code. It didn't work. He's been he's been yeah, working yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. kind of upgrading the HTML capabilities there. I was so I was very briefly. I was going to try and find a, your your leading rusher uh, through through rushing S and P plus, but it is kind of all jumbled up here. Just going off of the the highest ranked offense was was Boise State at nineteenth. They were fifty seventh rushing. So this might take. Oh, Colorado State nineteenth. That's probably your. That's got to be the uh, Yeah, probably so. Um, oh, no, well, no, hold on. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm here for you. I got my Excel sheets. Oh, I, um, I didn't want to count New Mexico. And, and, uh, so you got, yeah, you got New Mexico 17, Colorado State 19, uh, Utah State 24. Utah State, if they could throw the ball at all, and they, had um, bad they would have been pretty good last year. Yeah, and they had a, um, they had a decidedly bad year. Yeah, and that was, I mean, they were kind of the, that, by the way, I mean, we're, we're talking about feel good with New Mexico. Uh, they also went like seven and one in one possession games, uh, and Utah State went like one and seven or something like that. Utah, so, State you had, know, Utah State had, like, tell me if I'm wrong, it, by advanced numbers, they had a Notre Dame year. Right. Is that, is that a, yeah. Yeah. They had a Notre Dame year, for sure. Yeah, no, they were like 70th. They were like 70th. I just previewed them. They didn't um, fire a single yes, assistant coach. Uh, he brought in uh, – I don't remember how the offensive coordinator left, but he did just bring in Dave Yost to run that offense. Right, but they did, they did uh, not fire anyone following the – Okay. Like, they were, there was no sacrificial lamb. Okay. So there's a lot of faith. Yeah, I mean, they were close. They were real close. And so th- this coming year now, they could bounce back all the way and suddenly, you know, win the Mountain West, the Mountain Division – or they could have lose a bunch of more close games and get him fired. It, it, that's I called them the biggest wild card in the conference yesterday for that very reason. They're going to yeah. be close in a lot of games. It's just a question of whether they actually close them this year. All right, Bill. Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw myself a curveball. Um, <laughs> hypothetically, if we were to isolate this next segment, let's just say you're a Georgia fan or you're an SEC fan and you know the name Mike Bobo. 
and it usually involves the meme of um, run the ball, Bobo, or what are you doing, Bobo, and then, then just various other sundry profanities, Bobo, okay? Okay. And you haven't thought of Bobo since he left. Tell me what, but tell me what Colorado State's been up to. Um, doing pretty well. Yeah, because recruiting pretty well. The reason why is I think he's a year away from being mentioned for Power 5 jobs. Yes. And when uh, I say I think, I mean I'm yeah, telling they you are, he's a year away. They are going to most likely be very, very, very good this year. Yes. Um, they've got Nick Stevens back at quarterback. They've got all their running backs, a good number of their receivers. Uh, lose a little bit on the offensive line. We'll see how that goes. Um, but most of their defense comes back. It was a very young defense. And, and they ended up – this is one of those funny things like – so, uh, you know, S&P especially, any computer rating to agree, but especially S&P will look at upside more than anything else, really. Um, like, the, you know, when it had Arkansas in the top 10 a couple of years ago, it's, it's basically projecting, like, it's trying to define your upside and downside. Um, and if your upside's high enough, that's probably a sign that if this were a 162-game season, you would do really, really, really well, even if you were only, like, 7-6 and six last year. Chances are you were really close to doing something a lot better than that. Colorado State last year, they started the year three and four. Um, but then over the last six games or last five games of the regular season, here are their percentile performances using my S&P stuff. 81st, 93rd, uh, 51st down a little bit, but then 92nd and 92nd. They, after barely losing to Boise State, they crushed UNLV. They crushed Fresno State. They lost a shootout at Air Force, but then they crushed New Mexico. And then they, they absolutely destroyed a good San Diego State team. Um, they then proceeded to lay a complete and total egg for about the first quarter and a half against Idaho in the bowl game uh, to where once they got caught back up on D offense, it didn't matter because their defense wasn't going to make any stops. But they showed probably more pure upside than anybody in the conference, really, even San Diego State or Boise during that, that, during that four or five-week span. And so when you do that at the end of the year and then you return a lot of the pieces from that surge, that's probably means you're go, you're about to do really really well. Arkansas it didn't never quite work for them. They were good again the next year after they had that kind of that top 10 peak or whatever. Um, and I think everybody realized they were good the next year even though they continued to lose some close games in the SEC. But uh Colorado State really could uh you know, they get Boise State and San, uh, well they get Boise State at home to end the year. They don't get San Diego State. This could be their year. I think I, I haven't done the Boise State. Uh, I haven't laid out their data yet. Maybe I still end up thinking they're the better team. Uh, but Colorado State has recruited, but Boba's recruited really well. Uh, he's gotten some JUCOs on defense because it's kind of like he's playing for keeps on that side of the ball this year. Uh, and that offense should be phenomenal. So, yeah, there, there's a good chance that the third year for Bobo is the last year. Man, you mentioned Arkansas. And I, now, now I want to do the SEC preview, which is like three months away. Yes. Yes, very, very get far there, away. Arkansas. To the, so I have teams that I'm not necessarily interested in, but that just fascinate me because of where they stand in this place and time with the situation that's going on. The one that we beat to death on this show is Nebraska, which we will continue to do so. And then Arkansas is somewhere in that top five, especially entering this season. Um, Billiam, tell me, Wyoming Cowboys, 2017 yeah. uh, conference yep. champions. It's going to happen, right? No. Yes. Um, yes, my friend. The plague, the plague around Wyoming's program was that even when you have a high point with a Joe Glenn, 
it is a combination of luck and circumstance and maybe regression somewhere else in conference play because it is just so hard to keep consistent depth in Laramie, Wyoming. Has Craig Bull figured out a way to do this? Well, I mean, he took the, the daring step of he, – he, he attempted the daring strategy of have an awesome quarterback to run your offense. Uh, that was a bold move, if I must say talented, so. Talented football players. Go on. Yeah, I mean, it's, I like it's crazy, really, but it seems to seem to work out pretty well for him last year. Interesting. Um, Interesting. That defense was really was still real bad last year, but it was like all freshmen and sophomores. So um, ba- basically, okay, so I'm about halfway through tomorrow's Wyoming preview, and we're recording this, by the way, on Tuesday because I had some travel pop up at the last second here to where I'm going to be traveling tomorrow and somebody stay at the got, old. Somebody got big for their britches. Yeah, that's right. Somebody uh, is it's somebody else's turn to be staying at a. At a whatever the hell the hotel I'm staying at. But um you I offered to put you in a Hampton Inn. Yeah, after I had reserved a hotel room. So, you know, next time I next well, time call I call your boy. Next time I, although I didn't hear with diamond status. <laughs> well, I next time I know and next time uh you know, eventually I should probably get my act together uh and and travel like a grown-up myself. Mm-hmm. But I also don't do it a whole ton. Uh anyway, so like so, I'm about halfway through tomorrow's Wyoming preview, and the the craziest thing I've found so far is that their home road splits. They were just one of the best mid major teams in the country in Laramie, leave Laramie, uh, and bad things tended to happen. But um, you know that's you know once you get to use, used to your uh, Laramie confines, maybe that's a, a, a typical. You know you don't really like to explore the outside world very much. I don't know. But. If that gets blown up in the press this year and I don't get credit for it, I'm going to be so pissed off. But they so were off. they were uh, six and one at home last year. Their only loss was you know by that that one possession game in the Mountain West title game. Um, their average percentile performance at home was seventy four percent. Now you, you know typically you are you are better at home than you are on the road. That's fine. But away from home, Wyoming was average percentile performance thirty four percent. They were two and five uh, yards per play at home, six point one for Wyoming and six for the opponents, which isn't great. But at, at, on the road, it was six for Wyoming, about the same, and seven point one for opponents. Um, they gave up forty points a game away from uh, away from Laramie, and so. There, there was basically about a 14-point swing between home and road performance for, for your Cowboys last year. And that, if that can be explained by the defense being hilariously stupid young uh, and that evens out, then sure. But basically their schedule that next year is rough um, at Air Force, at Boise State, at Utah State. Um, it's hard to win your division when you're playing those teams on the road oh and you suck on the road. Yes, home against Oregon. Yeah, in, in non-conference, home against Oregon and at Iowa. But yeah, that, if you're really if you're if you've got quite the home field advantage there, that Oregon game becomes quite interesting. And they're getting New Mexico State or New Mexico and Colorado State at home, but it's going to be real hard for them to overcome that road schedule. I think. <sighs> Bill, you're such a naysayer. Um, I know. I know. We we okay. We ran through pretty quickly. Is there anybody else? With, okay, San Diego State. We did it again. We're just we're just as guilty as the rest of the nation. Um, well, have, we haven't I haven't previewed them yet. So. I know but we're talking about the conference as a whole here, and I I I, I haven't yes. even brought it up yet. And they are the defending conference champion. Um, yes. Pumphrey's gone. He was the sideshow attraction. Um, you might you know catch it on Twitter, see a highlight of it. Um, so too does 
go there dominance. That's not a sentence, but whatever, just run with well, it. Here's the thing. Pumphrey averaged 6.1 yards per carry. Uh, his backup, Rashad Penny, rushed for 1,000 yards at 7.5 yards per carry. Good God. Uh, Juwan Washington, Juwan Washington, the third stringer, averaged 8 yards per carry. Um, they have their number one receiver back, basically one of their one of their two receivers. They got him back, Michael Holder. He's pretty good. Christian Chapman is in his third year starting. Um, their 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 offensive line gets completely and totally rebuilt. They lose four starters on the offensive line, and maybe that's a big deal. Maybe it's not. Um, you know, lots of good recruits in the mix. He's been recruiting really well for a few years, so plenty of three stars to choose from there. But we'll see. I mean, the the offensive line is going to be the reason they struggle if they do on offense. Defense returns a a a, a a lot and their defense is why they were winning games. So I, you know, even with, even last year with Pumphrey getting all the headlines, they were 70th in offense and offensive SMP plus and 24th on defense. Mm -hmm. They're going to be okay. They're going to be perfectly fine. They're going to be at They're going to absolutely start the year as the division favorites again. And not, you know, partially because that division still probably isn't going to be all that great because UNLV is probably not ready yet. Nevada is probably not ready yet. Uh, Fresno state's definitely not ready yet. Um, but they're going to have a chance to win a lot more games this year. Okay, so so before we transition out, we've got a San Diego State team that's going to be fine. We have a yeah. Colorado State team that's going to be good. We have Boise. Yes. And we have yes. a Wyoming team that potentially could be in the neighborhood of as, as good they were as they were last year. Yeah, between Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah State, I would assume that one of those teams is also pretty good. And Air Force. Uh, Air Force is going to have the same old option, good offense they always have. they got a good young quarterback, and their defense completely rebuilds, as it does every single year, because they play nothing but seniors. Um, So between those four teams, another good one should emerge. And Hawaii might – I think Hawaii is probably still a year away, but they could be better too. So this is a conference where you look – you're looking at a lot of teams potentially improving at once. Oh, see, I'm trying to leave again. We didn't talk about Hawaii. Uh, why do you like Nick Rolovich? I know why I like him, but why do you like him? Because uh, he tweeted me the other day. Well, I, I actually wasn't leading into that joke, but we can go there. Um, no, I, I, I just like I, – I love what he did last year. He proved about as much as you can possibly prove in, in one year as a coach. That, that's it. I mean, I didn't love the hire. Uh, you know, he wasn't – Oh, no, no massively one when he got hired. Right. No, I mean, he wasn't a massively successful coordinator at, at Nevada. You know, he was a Hawaii guy, and that's, you know, he had that in his, on his resume. But I was not blown away by the hire. He just kicked butt last year. That's why I like him right now. I just like him because he's honest. He's honest on Twitter yeah. on a way that you just don't see from a college football coach or a coach, <laughs> period. Um, yeah. And I know that sounds, I don't know, if you think that's arbitrary, it's just maybe it's because I have to ask these people questions for a living. Um, He's just it's it's just a different kind of attitude and I think focus and it's okay to be a realist and still be a successful coach and motivator of other people. I just don't like I, yeah. I think it's okay to buck uh, stereotypes and cliches 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 especially as a coach and still get your job done and still get people motivated to accomplish more than they ever have. It doesn't always have to be the greeting card from hell, you know? And I think that there's something unique going on out there. Um, you keep mentioning Jeff Tedford. There's no reason not to think he won't do better. Right. Or especially than Tim DeRuiter did. Um, I don't know if they're Pat Hill good or Pat Hill consistent because the conference has changed on them. And, I mean, when they were Pat Hill consistent, they were in the whack. So very, very different situation. But 
Yeah, it's really hard to argue against youth here, you know? Yeah. Rolovich going in, understanding, you know, knowing the program, having been in the program, knowing what it is, knowing the culture, knowing how to reach out in a modern way and recruit to that. Mike Bobo, SEC pedigree, comes in, very much treats the Denver area, and then also they're still running camps in Georgia. Youthful approach, right? Um, Craig Bowl is an exception, although I think Craig Bowl is not as old as people think he is. He's not. He's not as old as he looks. He's like the Back to the Future principal. Um, but yeah, I think he's only sixty-ish, or maybe a little under that still. Right. Uh, let's see. A all consulting this... way, fifty-eight. Okay. See, all this makes Bob Davy just that that more interesting and that more successful. Um, Air Force is a member of the Mountain West Conference. Um, I tend to lump them in when I talk about the academies because of the structure. They have won the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy quite a bit. Um, they have been very successful in what they do. They have a recruiting edge against the other academies, too. And then, accordingly, because they have an advantage on that in terms of service and what you have to do as a member of the Air Force versus the Navy or the Army, um, they still get the luxury of being able to recruit like a bajillion people and all that stuff right. that I wrote about in my Army story. Um, Air Force. Yes. Could they ever... The ceiling is pretty high relative to the Mountain West. We've seen that, right? Right. I mean, they won their division last year. They beat beat Boise. Right. They give Boise fits. Um, They're still an academy, so it's still tough to say that they could ever make a run and become that, like, top-level dominant team or just have, like, a two-year run similar to San Diego State because San Diego State's won the conference twice. Is that right? Mm. Yes. Um, Or just is it just once? No, two. Yeah, twice. They beat Air Force two years ago, and they beat yeah. um, Wyoming this time. Yeah, yeah. Is it possible for that to happen at Air Force? It's possible for them to win the conference, yeah. But in terms of like you know, in terms of playing like at a at a top twenty or twenty five level, um, that's going to be pretty tough because they have to peak on both sides of the ball at once. They right. and, you know a few years ago when they had DeRuiter, they had a hell of a defense uh, at that time. And they've kind of they've circled back around to finding a decent amount of success with that kind of that attacking three four confuse you and force you into three and outs and turnovers kind of thing and be willing to give up big plays. Um, they've created a really nice identity, but to to get to that kind of that top twenty five level, they have to peak on both sides. They haven't really been able to do that yet. Um, but they, they've played. Uh, you know, they have like what five or six top fifteen finishes. Not not my ratings, but actual like. To, you know, AP poll top uh, 10 or 15 finishes. Um, they've been in the top 10 a couple times that, you know, DeBerry, it's been 30 years since DeBerry had that 12 and one season back in 85, but they still, they can play at a top 25 level. It's just not going to be something they can probably sustain from year to year. It'd be like a one-time thing, um, but they won their they division and th- that alone shows that they can win their, their conference at least once. Yeah. They could be Navy ish. How about that? Right. Okay. All right. Just curious. Um, it's a great conference. It's I really do like it. I don't What's know funny why. is we've said this about the last two conferences I've previewed now, and so now uh, the next one on the list when I'm done is the, the American. I didn't say that about the MAC. Uh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. That was Conference USA. Sorry. Two, two conferences ago. Um, well, we, I just think the Conference USA is very interesting. I fundamentally like the Mountain West. Like it's, it's, a, it's a macrocosm of why I like... Wyoming so much is it it's a place people write off 
sometimes individual cultures that people write off. And I guess, like, to an extent, there you can throw, like, BYU in there. For whatever reason, they get relegated or made fun of or ignored. And it's, like, they can put together really interesting things in college football. And I think they make college football way... I think they don't get enough credit for the for what they add to the to the stew. Is that fair to say? Like, I mean, hell, Bill, for three years, the year that Kaepernick and yeah. Russell Wilson were both contending for was that twelve? Yeah, and then yeah, it was two thousand twelve. When Zone Reed was at its peak in the NFL, the pistol was at the heart of all of that. Right, people couldn't stop talking about what had gone, and the pistol is born in Nevada. So. And yeah, and the spread, you know, Tiller at Wyoming, and even like the the, the pass happy BYU teams and all that, they've been kind of uh, standard bearers for offensive innovation for a while out west, and um, you know, and that's that was the whack and the Mountain West, and now BYU's in independence, so it's kind of it's a little blurry there. But just generally speaking, this is a conference full of teams that has innovated quite pretty well uh, through the years. And I know I told like. Utah State had an under they were not great last year but I used to tell people when I would get on these this was before the show existed and maybe this is the show exists just as a function for me not to do this with drunk SEC fans when I'm also drinking is like like you want to watch a fun football game do you want to watch a game where you don't have to be subjected to Florida's offense watch a Utah State game because it's going to be fun you know you watch the way they play USC it's going to be fun um, and that still holds true I just think they had a bad year Chances are, if you pay attention to, like, we were just talking about this at work. This is slightly off topic, but the bad Friday night games that we get exposed to right now, they are bad, right? It's usually, like, the not great AAC matchups, or it's it's just, a, it, for whatever reason, we just, like, when's a, a good Friday night banger hasn't happened in a while. Utah beat USC on a Friday night last year. That's the only thing I can think of. And before, oh, yeah. I don't count Black Friday. To me, that's different. Holiday yeah, no, no, different. that's different. That's that's just an extended Saturday. I think if Utah State is it, or Utah State, if Mount, the Mountain West is able to carve something out and find, not Friday. By the way, let me just stop myself. I'm not advocating for them to move them like a bunch of Friday night games. I don't like that. But find a way to get the media buzz of a action on their product. I think that they could do something. Okay. Why why don't you share my enthusiasm for the Mountain West? No, I I, I really I was neither kind of uh, enthusiastic or pessimistic about that. I was like, okay, we'll go with it. I, I, you could be you could absolutely be right. I that was not cynical at all. Do we really you have? You don't American believe me. You don't believe me, do you? No, I don't. Do we have American next? Yes, American is next, and I'm not it'll even be kind of prepared for that. It'll be interesting because, I mean, I do, I, you know, I was definitely, I did not emerge from Mac previews thinking, oh, man, this is an up-and-coming conference or anything like that. But I've, yeah. I felt that way about the Conference USA and Mountain West to some degree. Um, and so now taking the deep dives on these AAC teams, I'm kind of curious what I end up thinking. I, you know, just looking at the list of teams, UCF's on the rise. Tulsa, well, has risen or is rising. I do, you know, Tulane probably needs another year, but Temple should be solid. SMU should rise. USF should be good. Navy should be, uh, well, Navy. Memphis should be solid. Houston should be still solid. I think Memphis is going to be better than solid. Quite possibly, yeah. Uh, But, I mean, anyway, that that would basically be three out of five mid-major conferences where I get the vibe that teams are doing more improving than regressing, and I don't. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's like whatever they used to make fun of Digger Phelps about, where he said like everybody's in or whoever that was on the on the college basketball game day when you know 
I'm just saying everybody's everybody's doing well. Everybody's improving, and maybe that's just me. But the I mean, only school right now in the AAC, and we'll get to questions in a second, that I could look at and go, man, things don't look like they're promising. Even this is a bit of a stretch, but I would say Eastern Carolina. East Carolina has a lot to prove. UConn has a lot to prove. Um, Cincinnati, we'll see. I, you know, he, He's recruiting pretty well, so maybe they end up doing just fine. Yeah, I would definitely say, well, I would just put, throw Cincinnati into like a Fresno State-ish sort of situation. Like, No, they're not going to be good in 2017, but I, I just went up there and we're running something. It'll probably be up when I'm out, but I mean, he's Luke Fickle. It's a really smart... It, I came away and not really understanding the Ohio thing and how they brand themselves. Like Ohio wants to be this like Texas self-contained identity thing in the Midwest. I've never understood it. I probably never will. But it really, really works well when you go around to all these like power-talented schools in southern Ohio and the Cincinnati area, like all these major Catholic schools that used to send like badass tackles and odd tight ends and stuff to Notre Dame... And he's the guy, like he's the guy from Ohio State, you know, and he's in so many ways more accessible than Urban. Like they're going to build something great there relative to what they are. I don't think it's going to be in twenty seventeen. Um, having watched them scrimmage, they've got work to do. But um, I don't know, like ECU, UConn. I mean, UConn just hired their best coach in school history. I guess hired him back. I mean, uh, I yeah. Know. I mean, t- technically, yeah. Tulsa's really pointsy. They lost very their quarterback. Pointsy, very pointsy. I mean, God, this is so embarrassing that we're caping this hard, but I just can't think of a team that I'm like, well, I'm really worried about them in the AAC. So I've got a way to, to segue into um, reader questions in general. I, I just looked. I don't think we got an email on this, but we got a lot of tweets because we have a wheelhouse, and that wheelhouse includes – Middle Tennessee's athletic director or whoever it is saying that mid-major, the group of five conferences are going to have to realign to be more geographically friendly if they want to survive. Um, and so that, of course, brought that, – that, of course, got us a lot of tweets at the very least yeah. because that's what we're supposed to talk about, and we need to talk about it. Middle Tennessee's um, are realign themselves into finding people who will pay tickets for their football games. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so – now, there, there's the there's the logical, realistic part, and then there's me going into my, ooh, G5 Champions League uh, random yeah, crazy ideas. really calm about this. <laughs> so first, I will say that uh, I am turning on the AAC because <gasps> I want them to fail so that they what? have to join, so that they have to be a part of my G5 Champions League. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so, uh, you know, everybody in, in, in the football conference needs to underachieve. And then like UConn needs to keep underachieving in basketball and Wichita state needs to bomb in basketball just so they, you know, come back to the pack so they can listen to me. But, mm. uh, all right. Do you want to pitch this out? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty, I think I might have before. I don't remember what I've pitched on the show and what You've I haven't, a but couple things that are, that, that the real, the real easy concept here is that the, each team, each G5 conference sends its top two teams uh, into basically a battle Royal of the top five uh, G5 teams, uh, top, top 10 G5 teams, basically all in one conference where the winner of that conference then goes to the, um, uh, the well, it gets the G five bowl slaughter. If we ever have a, an eight team uh, college football playoff where they get an auto bid, that's how they would determine the auto bid for that. Yeah, and I mean, you you think about just you know 
and again, we'll get to the realistic stuff in a minute, but you think about a conference then that would include, um, well, you know, like from last year, what Temple and, and, uh, Temple and Navy, if you're just going division champions, um, you get your Western Michigan and maybe your uh, Toledo or Ohio from the Mac. You get uh, this is a region, by the way. Keep going. I'm surprised that you're staying this regional. <laughs> well, you you then depending on whether you're doing division champions or not, you get like a, a San Diego State and a Wyoming or San Diego State and Boise State from the Mountain West. Yeah, not uh, it. You get an Appalachian State and an Arkansas State from the Sun Belt. Basically, you're you're, you're creating a conference where the worst team is like in the 70s or 80s uh, in a, in an S and P type of rating system, which is really not that much different than uh, a power conference. Um, now, I, I was bold and or stupid enough to bring this up to Mike Oresco when we were at AAC Media Day last year. And he, he, he like before I had even finished the sentence, he was like, yeah, no, no, no. We're no, too- he's, yeah, but he's in the minority. Yeah, he, he was basically like, we're, we, are, we are above them. It, it was the basic uh, just there. And, of course, if you're the commissioner of that conference, you have to think that way. Yeah, but, I love Mike to death. He's always been super friendly and, and, and very much a, a great source for us and, and accessible. And at, at a time when SB Nation was getting doors slammed in on it, you know, when I'm just trying to write the same stories that other reporters are. But, uh, no, I think that I think the, the logic that the AAC is somehow superior to insert other G5 here. I mean, the, there's one metric on this and it's money and it's just not, the, the differential is not strong enough for you to draw yeah. that line in the sand. It's just not. Yeah. From a quality, from a football quality standpoint, they have absolutely been better than the rest of the G5. There's no, there's no way to deny that, especially with the mountain West having kind of a really weak bottom tier um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that they have been better at football recently than most of the other G5s. But the, yeah, you're right. The money isn't where it needs to be. And if you can create like a Champions League situation where you've got this, this 10-team quote-unquote power conference, uh, super conference, I guess, and you're playing like, a well, uh, a Friday night game each week or a Thursday and a Friday night game, and you're getting like Boise State versus Houston on Friday night and um, I, I don't know, to, Toledo versus Western Kentucky even on like a Thursday night or a Wednesday night that's your best chance at, at, at creating marketable football, I think. I have an idea that's very broad. I may actually, not to, not to do a disservice to people who listen to this show religiously, but um, we may have to take it off air because it might involve other parts of the company for us to actually walk this out and, and do the project because the questions I get most often are related to, I think it all ties together, Bill. I think like when we talked about Houston and Cincinnati failing to to do whatever like invisible thing that they were supposed to do to get in the Big 12 and the Big 12 to preserve itself. I'm still a believer that the Big 12 wrote its own death sentence. I think you agree? Yeah. Okay. So this this ties back into this. I think it's it's not feasible. I think what schools like Middle Tennessee are saying is true. And that's what look, the entire Sun Belt said this. Most of it privately, some of it publicly last year is we can't afford to send the volleyball team to New Mexico State. It's just right. like we can't do it. I think what happens is the Big 12 falls. I think 70% of it is assimilated, which, by the way, I'm talking about 10 teams. So what is that, seven teams? <laughs> I mean, right. I think, you know, maybe Texas is independent and then six others join conferences. I do think Houston and Cincinnati specifically move up. 
I don't think in this moment the SEC suddenly is like, oh, give us USF. Like, that's not, I don't think that happens. Um, nor do I see poaching or jumps. So I don't think, like, Nebraska decides to jump. So I shouldn't use that as a, that's a bad example. I, I don't think, for instance, the Clemson-Florida State dream comes true in the SEC. That, like, that doesn't happen. If you're in an established conference, power conference that is not the Big 12, you're not going anywhere. I think some of those, school, those conferences might get bigger. But, so then what you're left with is the Mountain West, probably Iowa State. I think they're the, they're the first head in the guillotine from the Power Five. Shortly thereafter, I'm curious what happens to Kansas State. If the legislature in Kansas can, can put something together, and it, it, it's not an easy sell to have them packaged with Kansas for, for the Big Ten, bully on you. I don't think the Big Ten cares about Kansas State. They don't need the football prowess. I don't think they, they're interested in anything else. That's just my personal opinion. So you're left with these, like, the scrap heap of the Big 12 and the Mountain West. How many teams is that, Bill? Four, uh, 15, what are we at, right? And then, well, yeah, they're 12 in the Mountain West, and then, like, three, four, I guess, is what you're talking about. with the Idaho has stepped down by this point. New Mexico yes. State is still there. Then you have, let's so, you, you, I think the AAC, as we know it, is poached pretty strongly in this, in this upswing. All right. Typically, yeah. Okay. So I don't don't ask me where. I don't know yet. But let's just say that off the table are Houston, Cincinnati, and the directional Floridas. Okay. So that's uh, okay. From there, how do you take a school? How do you take these groups? Now you can't include anybody from the Mountain West. I'm what I'm doing is I'm taking your model and I'm just breaking it apart on the on the money side of this. Mm-hmm. Is there a way for you to build something out from that? And then how – I just don't understand how you re- involve and revolve the tiers. Like, Bill, this is – this literally is at the heart of everything we talk about on this show. I, yeah. can't, I can't get radio DJs to agree with me in Louisiana that La Tech and ULM should play each other in football. Right. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how this works, but it has to work for all these schools to survive. Right. Yeah, I mean, basically the way this – you know – the way this all takes shape, I guess, really is, yeah. I mean, in, in my head, you do take, like, kind of a 10-team. You know, there are any number of ways to, to, as you said, rotate the teams or, you know, promote and relegate, basically, from that top tier, whether it's just basically, like, the the bottom five gets sent down and the next the conference champions go up the next year or whatever it is. There are a million ways you could do it, and I, I'm not even really worried. It's it, it would be easy enough to figure out. But then, yeah, you almost create a situation where all five of those conferences become a collective and those conferences almost become divisions where you do you divide by geography so that the softball teams are playing closer together and then the football teams that are doing the best and 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 in theory then becoming the most marketable although obviously there are different shades of that are playing each other for the the most possible tv revenue they can generate whatever that is i mean it's still not going to like be an amazing tv deal but it would be better uh and if you have to if you are if you are so set on the idea that, that staying in FBS is the best thing for you, then it seems like you probably need to be honest with yourself to some degree. And, and, and at least, even if this isn't viable at all, at least start to think about getting creative here and not just say, no, we're staying because we're good and we're, we deserve it and all that. Mm-hmm. But start to, start to get a little proactive. By the way, while you were talking, I, I pulled up the S&P ratings for this quote-unquote 10-team super conference. 
um, of mid-majors. And you basically end up with number 16, Western Kentucky, 32, Temple, 33, San Diego State, 35, Western Michigan, and 40, App State. So half the conference is in the top 40. Uh, I'm not even sure the Big 12 can say that. Mm. Um, Then 52, Navy, 59, La Tech, 61, Wyoming, 80, Arkansas State, and 92, Ohio. And that's only if you do division champions as opposed to just like the two teams that were best because Toledo was in the top 42. I mean, I just think, Bill, like this is the – some inevitable – I have no other way of saying this, and I'd usually do a good job on the show, but I'm going to give you the 15-second scrub warning if you have the kids. Which, by the way, I listen to a lot of podcasts – I, I should shout out the ones I now understand the whole profanity because <laughs> I'm driving around the toddler all the time. Um, get over your shit. Like, uh, Southern Mississippi, Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Monroe are all conjoined together. Louisiana Lafayette and Tulane. That's half a division. Not only that, you're talking about... And then you can pair that in with a Texas directional if you want. If you, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about you. If, if you're talking about North Texas, maybe you add on with that with I twenty, and then you tag on like I think Houston's gone in this scenario. So let's tag uh, San Mar. Let's tag uh, Texas State. Okay. Get over your shit is the only way I can say this. Um, you have to do the same thing where you where where App State and Charlotte and ECU all figure out that you're only hurting yourself here, right? I think it's been really smart that USA looked up at UAB and said, let's put together a series where people are going to be interested in drive and, and, and we're going to create something with this, right? Um, yeah. Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee have been pretty good about that as well. ETC, ETSU is coming on. That needs to be, you need to involve ETSU and NTSU. By the way, ETSU is in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is east of Knoxville, if you don't know. Oh, east. Um, okay. That is east. Yeah, that is very east. Um, it's a really pretty town. Uh, this is the, so the inevitable stuff has to happen, and you have to get over the old stuff. I don't know how else to say it. If you're SMU, play UNT. I, I don't care. I know all about it. Okay? I married up. <laughs> I know what classism is like. I understand that, but... <laughs> Just do it. If you want to survive in football, I think you're going to have to. UNT and, and Tulsa, they should play. You know, I'm, I'm just pulling this. I'm closing my eyes and looking at a map of the United States. Okay, Georgia Southern uh, has great historic rivalries with like App State. They used to have it with Furman when, when they were FCS. Um, they need to not only play Georgia State. Um, they need to play FIU. They need to play FAU. It just makes sense. They need to play, I don't know if, like I, I said earlier, that USF and UCF are off the table in this scenario, but if they're not, you know, Statesboro is closer to Florida than it is to most of the major population areas of North Georgia. That needs to happen. So we can go on and on about this, Bill. Um, I don't mean to, like, proselytize and get on the, get on the, the, the pulpit about this, but you can, I know you can book this, in six or seven different interesting ways, right? And our fans can too. But the bottom line is there's so much dumb surrounding this. And a little of it is how we got here that I just don't know if we can fix it by thinking the way that we always have. Like, we're going we're gonna to get to a point where we preview Sunbelt and CUSA and have to figure out, like, why are they a different thing? 
Like, what is the difference? You're going to sit here and tell me that the difference between Louisiana Tech and ULM is what? Or you're going to tell me that you're going to tell me why it was so prudent for Western Kentucky to leave the Sun Belt for Conference USA? Is it? I'm asking. Um, in the time that you've been talking, I've been redrawing all the conferences. That's you know kind of what I do. Um, you can easily bunch together, say, at, well, I mean, if we're t- just talking about suck it up in general, then and, and New Mexico State is staying at the FBS level. New Mexico State's now in the Mountain West. Um, but you can easily put together Louisiana and Texas mid-majors to produce a 12-team conference that is Houston, Louisiana Tech, North Texas, Rice, SMU, Texas State, Tulane, Tulsa. Oh yeah, Oklahoma schools too, I guess. UTEP, UTEP U- UTSA, UL Lafayette, and UL Monroe. Um, I mean, UTEP's probably the only outlier there. Right. Yeah, they, they should maybe. Actually, they can go to the Mountain West with New Mexico State. Yeah, I think UTEP in the Mountain West makes a ton. So, so now, now you're, you've got 14 in the Mountain West. Um, this conference now has 11 teams and you can easily add, um, uh, whoever, a Southern Alabama, a South Alabama or a Memphis or somebody semi close if you want to, or just have 11 teams. Uh, then you've got a, a collective of Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi schools like FAU, FIU, Georgia, Southern, Georgia state, South Alabama, Southern Miss, Troy, UCF, USF. And this is again, without anybody going to a bigger conference or whatever, um, so you got that. You've got a little collective of, of Virginia, North Carolina schools in Appalachian State, Charlotte, ECU, and ODU. Navy's not far away from that. Uh, Marshall and, and Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky are not far from that. Yeah, um, that, and that actually would – that's a functionally drivable um, – NTSU and Western kind of have a thing, so yeah. that works. One of those oh, was put, put Arkansas State. last year. Put Arkansas State in there with Tulsa and that Louisiana-Texas collective. There you go. There's 12 teams right there. So, but yeah, you can easily. Where's is Memphis in there? Where's Memphis? Uh, Memphis, I, I kind of bunched them for now with Middle Tennessee, Marshall, Cincy, and and Western Kentucky. They could go into that Carolina group where you have them and Appalachian State and Charlotte and ECU and ODU. It doesn't work as well once you get out of the South, but you can still figure out little clusters where your where your softball teams aren't traveling as far as as often. Bill, um, what we're doing is we're writing the war and peace of podcasting played nobody. That's right. On the fly, by the way. Completely well, and totally on the fly. It's on the fly right now, but I'm going to tell you something. We're going to come back to this because now the inevitable has occurred and and people are people are asking the same questions we have for years. Like, hey, what is the difference between the Sun Belt and the CUSA? And they're going to have to figure out a, a reality. We do need to get into questions. Uh, yes, travel we need to get, there were some really good ones in the thread from last week. Yeah, where, do, uh, all right, well, we have to start in the thread because we've asked you guys, um, yes. as always. By the way, you know what we didn't do this week? We didn't have a show intro. Um, whatever, really, whatever. Yeah, We uh, never claimed to be good, good at this. No, eventually we're going to build more structure, but one day, I don't know, that, as soon as Vox Media gets around to telling us if we're getting new audio stuff or the logo I asked for last year... Um, which, by the way, I guess, I'll go ahead and spoil it. If you've been listening to us from the beginning, I asked you guys to send in the sentimental numbers, the scores. It's going to be incorporated into our logo. We just haven't had it made yet. Um, <laughs> where do you want to start in the comment section? Please, by the way, if you want to ask us a question, you can email us, you can tweet us at SBN underscore Bill C at 38 Godfrey. But the best way to do it is to go to the podcast and play nobody page on SBNation.com. Sign up for a user account. It doesn't, it takes two seconds. And then just post in the comments because Bill and I are trying to frequent those comments, ask some questions we can on the fl- answer some questions that we can on the fly, ask them too. Um, I, but you guys, have got, been, these have been really good. 
Yeah, I know. Like it, this is this is lovely. Um, two, I, I got two of them to start with. One of them is vague, and then the other one's specific. First of all, a lot of people in the comments and on Twitter and email all recommended when I talked about the dog freaking out during storms last week. Uh, they all recommended the thunder shirt. We do have a thunder shirt. Uh, it works in that she can't jump. It, it limits her mobility. She okay. can still dig, and it doesn't really calm her down. It supposedly has something to do with putting pressure on the chest when you wrap it around the way that you do. Yes. Um, doesn't really, I, maybe, it, maybe it does calm her down, but it doesn't calm her down enough to keep her from like scratching on the, the five-year-old's door. I do appreciate it though. I love you guys. You got, you know, a lot of people sent, uh, advice and it was advice that we've taken, but I still love I it. And, um, and, and so then, uh, it, moving on the first, the first one I want to, because this is, uh, I am in the mood for segues, uh, Putek. P-U-H-C-T-E-K on the thread said, since we're apparently still talking about the death of the Big 12, Bill and Godfrey, tomorrow you're named co-athletic directors of Iowa State. Knowing the relegation is likely on the horizon, what do you do? Wow. Good I know. Question. Give, his, give, give the username a shout out one more time while I stall and think about this. P-U-H-C-T-E-K. I'm going to say it's Putek, even though that's, that might not be right. Um, my answer is, like, you know, this isn't – there's no long-term plan if you're Iowa State right now. Your only chance of really doing anything – the only thing you can really control in this matter other than, you know, doing the crappy hire a PR firm and, and crap on all your neighbors kind of thing. Don't do the, that. The only thing you have that's in, in your control from a performance standpoint is get really good – as good as you can possibly get as football at football as soon as you can do it. Um so if that means investing a little more than you otherwise would have, maybe it's worth that. Um, you know, increasing the – whether that means hiring new coaches. I like Mike, Matt Campbell. I'd probably keep him. But get, make that recruiting budget as big as you can possibly get it. Raise money as hard as you can. And, uh, you know, honestly, one thing the Big 12 has not been good at, and I realize why – they, they really haven't been good at looking long-term for any of this. And, and as we've talked about many times, that's been proven a lot in uh, the, the whole let's not bring Houston on because it might in the short term hurt our Houston recruiting while in the long term dooming our conference. Um, you gotta look. You gotta look short term in the way you're spending money, and you gotta look long term in terms of goals. And your only goal, if you're Iowa State right now, is stay up. And however things shake down, you have to make yourself as attractive as possible, and that means being good at football. Here's what I do. I'm going to go against the flow on this. I try and save it. You're born into a particular family. I know they were a Big 8 school, so it's not like there was no life before the Big 12, but there may very well be no life after it. So I think the first thing you do, before you try and start figuring out your audition process, is you hire, you don't hire any other coach. You don't hire any other fundraiser. What you hire is someone who can navigate the politics of the state of Texas, where this (laughs) thing has lived and ultimately died for so many years. And you get in there and you rally the schools. First off, you need to fundamentally change your opinion of places like Cincinnati and Houston. Yeah. Or wherever it may, maybe you know what? Maybe there was a consensus inside one of those rooms that said, "Let let's go into Florida, Central Florida, and South Florida." I don't care. It doesn't really matter about the candidate schools. But you go in and you try your damnedest to create a structure in which the Big Twelve lives past the next decade. That's what you do. Now, if we're saying fait accompli, then you need to start looking at things that don't change. And what you know, if you build something in a stadium, that doesn't change. If you redo an arena, that doesn't change. 
you start finding things that you can monetize, things that are, I mean, Iowa State is more than just a, a you know, a really weird, fun-to-watch Big 12 football program. They're very good at basketball. They're very good at wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Start finding things that you can connect to in that way. And also, I'd dump a ton of money into academics if, if I were you because if you're going to – you are the oh, yeah. only <laughs> candidate on the board right now to survive this, okay? Accordingly, academics could save your ass. I don't think so because you give absolutely nothing in the way of television DMA right. exposure. Now – is television exposure something that matters in the next 10 years? It might not. We're looking at television. Like, the whole reason television, household, market, all that crap exists is because of cable. And I don't know if you've looked over on the other side of that wall lately, but it's completely on fire too. Okay? So when Bill and I do finally sit down, put pen to paper digitally, and, and create the, you know, the, the doomsday and reclamation scenario, fallout college football, I don't know if television market becomes as important as everyone says it is right, right. now. By the way, you got so lucky, Rutgers. Holy shit. <laughs> um, so, number one, you, you lobby to, to survive. Number two, you invest in things that can't change. Football coaches can change. Facilities can't change. And academics can't change. That's my answer. Okay. So, really, if we're co-athletic directors, we just completely uh, differed from each other. And uh, yeah. that means that means stalemate, and that means we're doing nothing, and uh, we're getting relegated. Oh, we're co-athletic directors. Um, yeah, we talk. I don't know. Yeah, we'd figure it out. We yeah. get we get along. We'll, we'll, we'll be all right. We'll argue it out. Um, disruptive coaches, guys. You mentioned in the podcast how uh, the few really disruptive, purposefully disruptive coaches were pariahs in the profession. Who were the coaches, how were they disruptive, and how were they punished or policed by other coaches in response to their attempts to disrupt how college football coaching Mommy. occurred? Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you, Jim Clary, by the way, his username is Virginia Jim. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've touched on it so many other times. How Mummy, number one. Mike Leach, number two, which is 1A. Yeah. Um, uh, disruptive coaches come in different kinds and different flavors. Um, I mean, in, in, in his way, Schimbeckler is disruptive. Um, I'm trying to think of a more a, a more modern analog to that. I think with disruptive coaches, you can even you can even use the establishment as its own disruptor because Urban Meyer coming into the Big Ten is something I still. Anytime I ask anybody a question about the Big Ten, it always goes back to well, you know, once Meyer got to Columbus, and so adopting that philosophy. Um, all of the SEC ethos and recruiting and how you spend money and how you build a staff out, that was extremely disruptive to the Big Ten and continues to be so. Modern disruption would be James Franklin, essentially just not shutting up and acting like a Vanderbilt coach on so many occasions. Um, disruption would be someone like Tom Herman, and to a degree, now he's the establishment. So uh, the funny thing about college football is that good disruptors become the establishment. And so it's hard to, you kind of have to identify them not necessarily by person. Well, Mummy's a good example because he never really got to become the establishment. But most right. of them who do, um, you, you almost you identify a period in time. Um, and then if you want to go into play calling disruption, we'll have to block out three hours and talk about that later. How about that? Uh, Bill, you got one? Farve and inches. Okay. I wanted okay. to follow up on the discussion of analytics in college football from a couple of weeks ago. Of course, I'm going to read this question. Um, advanced metrics had been around for many years in baseball, but only became popular when executives saw a direct correlation between certain measurements and offensive and defensive success. 
Um, he uses uh, OPS war and FIP as the uh, ex- examples, fielding independent pitching, uh, that accounted for variables such as ballparks or having good fielders slash fellow hitters without forcing Bill to give away his whole business plan. Have advanced stats evolved to that same level of maturation? And if so, which independent measurements best correlate to offensive and defense, defensive success and account for the randomness of the sport? What would it take for football stats to reach that level of application? Follow up if you want. Uh, actually, we're going to hold off on the follow up. So, um, it is a lot of the success of analytics. You know, I, I for whatever reason, I decided to re, to go back and reread Moneyball a couple of weeks ago, and um, it a, a lot of it, there, there were certainly some stylistic some uh, some things that they made the manager do uh, Art Howe in terms of you know we're, you're going to play these guys, you're going to do this, you're not going to bunt or you're not going to sacrifice bunt, etc. But a lot of what they did was based around talent identification and being able to to figure out who's being overlooked and who's not. And I think there's a long way to go when it comes to studying. You know, we are, you know Ian Boyd. Uh, you know, what my study hauler Ian Boyd has, has talked a lot about like Wisconsin, was uh, you know Wisconsin linemen and whatnot, and and basically these little overlooked pockets of talent that the recruiting services don't necessarily um, grade accurately. I guess you could say. Um, there is that, and uh, you know, the, you know, based on where you're coaching, I think you can certainly get away. With, like, if you play to a certain style, then you'll be able to more adequately recruit for that style. Maybe that's the going back to the Bob Davy thing that we were talking about earlier. But that we are definitely not to the point we need to be at from a football standpoint, like to where baseball was, because we don't have everything we all, all the information we need. We don't have enough information about recruiting at this point. We don't have enough. We, we, you know, we have enough information to talk about what, when you should go for it on fourth down, but, um, All the time. but that's right. <laughs> but that's a, that's a tactics thing. And it goes so much more beyond, we always think of the, the, that tactic piece as the money ball piece, but it goes into how you're, uh, ch- how you're evaluating players to recruit, how you're recruiting them, how you're developing them. There are all these things where uh, college teams haven't yet figured out how to pull that all pull all that information together into one place and use it appropriately. There's all this information out there that isn't being gathered yet, and I think it's it'll take kind of a, a visionary coach or two. It'll also kind of take a visionary athletic director or two to set it all up or to almost mandate that they're, whatever coach he hires do it this way. Um, and yeah, we don't have we don't have athletic director Billy Bean just yet, but you know we're working on it. Vaughn Shroom, he just, this isn't really a question until, the, well, kind of at the end. He says, Temple coaches, Temple's last three coaches before Jeff Collins, Al Golden, fired by Miami, Steve Adazio, under 500 at BC, Matt Rule, rough uh, first offseason at Baylor. Is this just a bad coincidence? Maybe just all bad fits at their next stop. Something obviously worked for them to succeed at a tough job like Temple. Um, I don't know, there's a stats term. This is a, a bad set of information. What's it's it's an, it's an incomplete set, yeah. It's okay. not there's not enough of a sample there. Well, and actually, I just saw the response that said small sample. Yeah. yeah okay. I actually didn't read that, but um, I, yeah, I know there's a stats term for this. This this is just not enough information to draw the inference that you're trying to create. Also, Matt Rule, rough first off season, he had an insanely good recruiting class. Way way not enough time to figure out what Matt Rule is going to do at Baylor. Um, so I don't know what the correlation between Temple and the job that you go to is. Um, Al Golden being fired at Miami was everything that happened at Miami was a Miami reason for a, a problem that had to do with Miami football. Right. 
Um, BC has had issues. Um, Adazio has had issues fitting to BC. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a tough time here trying to draw that inference that you should, you know, you could say the same thing maybe about Randy Edsel and Bob Diaco and et cetera. And so, I mean, I can, I can rattle off program, mid-major programs where the coach moves on to another job because they're successful and then it doesn't work out. But that's also just college football. The where, I tell you where you could really do this is the MAC. What do you mean? Like, you could look at, I mean, I don't think it's Bowling Green's fault that if, if Dino Babers doesn't work out at Syracuse. Oh, gotcha. Is it Northern Illinois' yeah, fault yeah. that Dave Dorn might not work out at NC State? Yeah, basically for this to be a Temple thing, you have to be able to say, you know, they failed in this way because of, you know, or because they that's the way they did it at Temple and it just didn't work elsewhere. You know, Al Golden really did. He made a lot of Miami-specific decisions about how to recruit and, and, and relations and all this stuff that just didn't work for him. But it, it was nothing you could say. He learned it at Temple and it just didn't right. work. Uh, Adazio really wasn't at Temple very long enough to get any to get much Temple on him before moving on to another job. And then, yeah, Rule, because I'm a well-actualier, and I, I am, by the way, raising a massive well-actualier in the five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, not an insanely good class, but he did an insanely good job of rallying the class. It was, it was like 40th in, in two for, 247, but he, he basically inherited like a commitment. And so to pull together 20-something commitments in like a month Oh, I thought, you, I thought you were talking about the 2016 class. At Tim, you're talking about the Baylor class? For rule, yeah. It's remarkable because of what he started with, not what he finished with. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it was 40. He'll need to do better than that moving forward. But the fact that he was even able to do that was something. Yeah. So, no, you don't – yeah. To me, what Matt Rule did has nothing to do with where they rank on 247 or Scott or whatever. It, it's the distance between the two points. And the distance is even greater versus, hey, they had – what what did you say? One verbal left? Something – you know, it was okay. either zero or one. That isn't even the point. The point is talking to folks and, and, and everyone talking about that job – as and then and then going oh this this Yankee from Pennsylvania is going to come down here like right. it was the, the distance in perception that that dude traveled in two months is remarkable it is and there's also the simple fact and by the way still super fascinated to see what he thinks is going to work on offense yeah super yeah. fascinating um, this one uh, I got one or do you want no yes we're still oh, I was just going to say and also Steve Adazio and Matt Rule are, could not possibly be more different cool. and so. You know, okay. the, the only thing they have in common is that they're Temple guys. Uh, user 11235, I think that is actually an auto-generated username. <laughs> uh, he said, what's the, word among co- uh, what's the word among coaching circles about MSU? He's talking about Michigan State. Um, so I can just feel this one real fast. Obviously, we'll do Michigan State when we get to the Big Ten preview. Specifically, the word in coaching circles is that they overachieved in a space between um, a, a vacuum that existed where there was an elite group of Big Ten schools and not just in Ohio State. They overachieved in a lot of ways because they were very well coached. They had great coordinators like Pat Narduzzi, and I do think Mark D'Antonio is extremely uh, – he is fit for what Michigan State wants to do. Um, this is – by the way, I'm just going to kind of isolate what's happened this offseason with the sex assault scandal because we don't really know yet how far back that goes or what the impact will be going forward. Now, the, the, the user number number didn't ask me to prognosticate Michigan State, but the consensus in the Big Ten is that they overachieved in a vacuum. During that time, they failed because they did not become better at recruiting elite talent. 
So you are always going to have an extremely well-coached, knowledgeable staff, uh, excuse me, a roster that's coached by a knowledgeable staff that, that, that is very disciplined and, and does all the fundamental things extremely well, which is like super boring and cliche, but that's what Michigan State was there for a couple of years. They, didn't, they did not step in, and I had someone tell me this from Michigan specifically, while Michigan was, was transitioning from Hoke into what Harbaugh is at this moment, not even last year where the recruiting camps were going on, but even up until this point, they have not tried to compete at that level. I don't know if they think they should, and I don't know if D'Antonio wants to do that. But when I ask people about Michigan State, um, regardless of what happened last year in terms of the – they took some L's, man. They took a lot of L's. And I, I can, I'll probably let you try and explain that. They, they haven't brought themselves to the level that they were playing at as a program in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, they were – when you are always leaning on, you know, a few good, really high caliber, like four or five star guys, but mostly the, the, the diamond and the rough types, the, the three stars that you can coach up to be four stars. A, that leaves you, you vulnerable to a single bad class kind of screwing you up. I, certainly that's something that Missouri's had to deal with uh, over the last couple of years, a single bad class or a couple within a short period of time where the diamonds, where, where they don't turn out to be diamonds, basically. Uh, and or and or you have to kick a bunch of guys off or academics or whatever. Uh, you rely on those on those three star guys to provide the depth you need to to have. And if suddenly you're looking at a situation where you're having to play a bunch of redshirt freshmen and sophomores, it's going to hurt you because your sophomores and freshmen are three stars as opposed to four and five like out of Michigan. And so, just purely from that standpoint, you know Michigan State lost a bunch of difference makers, and they replaced them with great guys. They lost a bunch of difference makers, replaced them with uh, replaced them with great guys. This last time around, they replaced them with guys who weren't quite as good, um, and they were juniors and seniors, which maybe ends up being a good thing because probably means they stink again this year, or at least aren't as good as they're used to. Uh, but they can get these the the freshmen and sophomores from a couple of pretty decent recruiting classes. Maybe those guys are the next different make difference makers down the line. But basically, you combine that just that general approach of constantly having to find guys who overachieve with losing a bunch of assistants or, 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 you know, one, one in particular, I guess um, it does. You're just more vulnerable to ups and downs when you aren't, when you're Michigan state instead of Michigan. I, I don't know. I haven't formed a long-term opinion on Michigan state yet, whether they're ever, you know, whether last year was the new norm or whether it's just a cycle that they'll fight through. Yeah. But it's just, it's harder. It's, it's just always going to be harder. Also, the Big Ten's getting better, and it's going to be harder for everyone that is in Ohio State. And in, and you know what? Yes, well, yeah, if you're in the Big Ten East, and yeah, it's going to be. They haven't, we haven't abolished divisions yet. Then yeah, you're you're going to struggle in that division, especially. Something's going to give in that division faster than it's going to give in the conference, and it kind of looks like you're it, Michigan State, unless you change something more in your DNA and less in your season by season record. Um, Bill, is it Tebow time? Asks Ryan Starrett. Hashtag dingers. Actually, my question is about Tebow's, Tebow's former QB coach, Dan Mullen. What would it take for him to leave Starkville? Uh, hi, I'm going to answer this. An offer? He's, he will go. Uh, he was a name that always came up in coaching searches similar to Gundy at Oklahoma State. Hi, this is Godfrey again. Uh, he would go too uh, back in there, but he never really seemed to want to leave. That is not true. He is looking. Is he looking for one specific job, or is he really locked into MSU for the long haul? No. Uh, with regards to Mullen at State, how much has he changed the profile of the program? Has he permanently changed the program from bottom dweller of the SEC to mid tier, or will they return to the basement once he is gone? The 
this could be a bigger discussion of how hard and rare it is for a coach to completely change a program as opposed to simply making them better um, where they are. Uh, by the way, uh, Ryan says his sig line is War Eagle and Go Barf, so he's not actually a Mississippi State grad. Um, good on you for showing interest in some team other than yourself. I always like that. Oh, yeah. yo, so much to unpack here. So Bill Snyder, you always talk about when you talk about permanently changing the face of a program, right? This is not that. This is, however, not a no. knock at Mississippi State. This no, it's, that's just extremely rare. This is a situation in which one we just got done talking about a bad division to try and rebuild or maintain in. This is the apocalypse. Yeah. Every right. I mean, they... So how many times do I try to... You ready for this? You know exactly what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say. Yes. Every coach makes $5 million a year in the SEC West. <laughs> Bill, you're good at math. Is it possible for none of these teams to finish last? In, in, the, in my heart, yes, <laughs> but in, in the standings, no. You are, um, going to have, and that's, you are going to have a school every year that finishes last, and you're going to have maybe even two more that finish under 500 in conference play, and you are going to pay $5 million for that. This is not about Mississippi State or, or Ole Miss, Arkansas, whomever, having a bad year or being a bottom dweller or whatever. It's really not about that anymore. There is just no tolerance in the SEC and the West specifically. I think what he's done at MSU that's so remarkable is he's brought that culture of expectation to a certain level of tangibility to where they do maintain, hey, we're going to pay Dan all week. They just gave him an extension. Uh, we're going to pay him like the way Ole Miss pays Hugh Freeze, the way Arkansas pays Brett Bielema, or even the way Auburn pays Gus Malzahn. And we're going to do that because we believe. So I think if it, the thing that he's done in Starkville has shown that it doesn't matter that you don't, you're in the back, the, the back east side of the state of poor-ass Mississippi and you don't even have an interstate running by your campus and it's hard to get to. It doesn't matter. The talent's there. The coaching's there. The brand is strong enough. I think that's what he's done at Mississippi State more right. than anything else. Basically, he's set it up so that they'll have to make a couple bad hires and make a bunch of bad decisions to get back to where they are in danger of falling into like the seventies, eighties, nineties in the rankings. Of course they can finish last in the sec West because you're going to be 35th and be last in the sec West. Yep. But he has raised the ceiling. Uh, again, bad hires can undo anything, but the way things currently stand, it would take a decent amount of bad decision-making for them to fall back to where, to where they were, to how they were viewed a decade ago. And that's good. Like they, I, they've probably hit their ceiling under Mullen if I had to bet. Um, but the floor is definitely higher. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm not in this camp of like Nick, Nick Fitzgerald is going to do something. I mean, I don't think it's, it's like that, but I love, I love, I love Nick Fitzgerald. I just don't think they have enough pieces for next yeah, year. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is an arguable window. This is actually goes back to the, Arkansas fascinating me thing. So I think Ole Miss implodes in the short term, and then you've got big question marks around talented LSU, but a different set of question marks for the first time. And then you have what Alabama is, and then you have <laughs> what Auburn is. And so it's manageable in there to scare and move things and that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know about a ceiling. I really don't. As far as him wanting to get out, yeah, he's been wanting to get out for years. He's, in, he, he's thrown his hat into several jobs. Um, sometimes I mention that I and Mississippi State fans get mad at me. 
It just has. Some I mean, school fans, some schools fans get mad at you if you don't mention that their coach is wanted by other schools. So it's really <laughs> that has a hell of a lot more to do with where I got my degree than it does with the logic of my statement. But it is it is an inarguable fact that Mullen has sought out positions at other institutes in the past five years on multiple occasions. Well, and you're only saying it right now because somebody asked you about it. So you know, it's either that or lie. You, like, you didn't bring you didn't bring that up on your own. Is what yeah, I'm saying. I also like Dan Mullen. I like I think the way he screws with people in the media. I think it's, especially yeah. in a place like Mississippi is very funny. Um, Bill, you got the next one. Mike Riley. This is from Derek A. Mike Riley gets a Sean Mannion equivalent at Nebraska. If he gets a quarterback to the level of a Mannion or his best Oregon State quarterback, whoever that is, uh, where would the offense rank and could they win the Big Ten? Thanks. Enjoy the podcast. Um, yeah, Tom, I, I, Tommy Armstrong wasn't terrible um he, he wasn't great <laughs> but he he wasn't awful he wasn't the reason well okay let's put it this way last year nebraska ranked 42nd in passing s&p plus which isn't high enough but it's 42nd 90th in rushing um they just don't have enough pieces and it would take more than a good quarterback to do now i mean if you get a, like Josh Allen type, you know, Wyoming, we just talked about how that was transformative. If you get an awesome quarterback, sure, maybe. But, but I mean, a, man, a Sean Mannion-level quarterback would, would make you a top 40 offense. And I'm assuming they probably want better than that. And that is brass on the Titanic. <laughs> the challenge for me now is going to answer questions. About, is going to be to answer questions about Nebraska and not talk about the 40,000-foot inevitability, that viewpoint of just this was not a good hire. It is a. I think Mike Riley is an outstanding human being and a good coach. I do not know why he's in Lincoln, Nebraska. The end. I don't know he's what else in, to say. I, I mean, and, and my only response to that is it's the picking your next, uh, dating somebody opposite of your ex, and that was like their entire search criteria. Give me the hey. opposite of Bo Pelini. Mike Riley is really super nice and he'll charm everybody. Boom, sold. All right, Bill, you haven't done the AAC preview yet, and you haven't done the Big Ten preview yet. I need an answer from you off the top of your head as fast as possible. How many how many games does Nebraska win this year? Seven. Okay, that's X. All right. How many games does Central Florida win this year? <laughs> Eight. Okay. I didn't know where that was you're going, but now now I know where you're going. All X uh, is I'll less than Y, right? X is less than Y, correct? Okay, that's all I'm going to say. If X is less than Y. Get ready. Who, uh, what, um, what, what was, who's the Central Florida head coach? What was his, uh, where did he play in college? I believe he, I believe he was a quarterback, a blonde haired son of the, uh, of the native soil of Nebraska. Actually, I don't think okay. Scott Frost is actually from the Yeah, I don't remember Nebraska. what, I don't remember what soil it came from. I remember, um, I remember him throwing a certain pass, uh, in, at Furrow Field in Columbia, but Sorry, I don't remember where he came from. Sorry, Bay. Scott Frost, by the way, is from Wood River, Nebraska. There you go. The soil. That's right. He went I to spoke. Stanford and then he came back home. That's right. That's the soil of which I spoke is correct. One year at Stanford, Nebraska, and then wow, maybe this is why he's so pissy when I interview him. He was a backup for the Jets for a long time. That'll ruin a man. Then he went to Cleveland. Um, two years would not be too short a time. Just gonna throw that out there. And when I talked to, I don't think Willie Taggart would mind me saying this, when I was sitting in his office before the UCF game on Thanksgiving, he had the tape going. Um, 
at his like he had different cut ups going all the time as he was preparing other things that week, and he would he kept noticing that like sh- not structure stuff but execution stuff was like incredibly different from week one and two from then to week like nine and ten. And so what his point was was like this is a team that's getting better really quickly. Um, they're gonna be good this year. He's gonna be really good this year at Central Florida. Okay. Yep. Just letting you know. This, I think, is officially our longest podcast. Well, that's awesome because I'm on deadline for five different things and my wife is due to have a child, which uh, we're going to sign off this way. You can find me at, uh, on Twitter at 38 Godfrey. You can find Bill on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. Bill has a book route right now, uh, the 50 greatest asterisk uh, teams, of <clears throat> teams of all time. I butcher it. Man, why am I so bad at doing your PR? You don't do it any for yourself, though. Yeah, you, you tell me I'm bad at it, and then you don't do any better. I got the freaking thing going, the <laughs> fundraiser thing. Um, anyway, lover's quarrel aside, um, buy Bill's book, follow us on Twitter, submit questions at the uh, podcast that played nobody page on SP Nation. And for those of you, like I see there's a big thread going about Baylor right now. We're going to touch that. We just we got a long road to hoe. So if we didn't get to your question, I'm sorry. Um, we got a lot of subjects as we go, and I'm, we're just now getting to AAC. We haven't even gotten to Power 5 yet. Uh, my wife is due to have a child very soon. I share this with the listening audience, not because I'm particularly fond of talking about non-football things on a football podcast, but that will affect your co-host here in the next uh, few weeks-ish. Um, I don't know when I'll be out, but I will be out for a little bit of time, and then I'll come back, and then I'll be out a little bit. So if you don't hear me, that's why. Bill, I know you have a couple in-house co-hosts lined up, and then maybe some surprises as well. Yeah, we'll see. Um, should I just in case should I break this podcast into like four different pieces over the next four weeks just to cover all of our? Uh, yeah, no, we we have at least one substitute lined up, probably two, and if I have to do three or four, we'll get creative. Yeah, I might, right. I might bring on a soccer guy just you know to throw things up or something. I'm not going to miss a ton of podcasts, but uh, our employer Vox Media offers a healthy amount of paternity leave, and uh, this is my second child. My first one was born on the fifth of September in two thousand fourteen. I uh, rejoiced and celebrated the miracle of life, and then I got in a car and I drove to Ohio for eight days for work. Um, so that's been brought up to me a couple times. So <laughs> I will be utilizing the SB Nation or the Vox Media Paternity Leave Program this time, um, so I don't get divorced. Um, that's it, Bill. Uh, I'll probably be. Do you probably want to do this again next week? Probably. Yeah. Why not? Why not? All right. 